Good morning, everyone. I hope you're warm wherever you are, because it's like an icebox down here in Alabama. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story after I finish this song. Give 
Hi, good morning. And uh, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I'll hang up this guitar. I'll be right back with you. Alrighty, I'm back. And uh, as I said, it's in frigid Huntsville, Alabama. The reason why I laugh and I'm going to tell you a funny story is when uh, I first uh, accepted the job down here, I came down here. I was like, oh, so, so excited. Moved down south, not to mention a congregation, beautiful building. And oh, it was just a lot of different things. I like the, uh, my little cottage here. <laughs> so, um, so then when I, when I first came down here, I didn't take, I left a lot of my winter gear in uh, Massachusetts, my parents' house, I said to my dad, "I'll just leave that my uh, my you know my winter stuff and over here here because it doesn't get cold down there." <laughs> well, good thing you know. Well, the whole well, I shouldn't say good thing, but uh, it was kind of interesting when I went down when I came back in November to visit my uh, brother Kenny when he was uh, going the process of dying. Um, I, I I found out that it does get cold down here, and uh, so uh, and even extreme cold. And so, uh, not a lot of snow, but uh, occasionally. But uh, so I, 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 you know, it was like three different times around the time when Kenny was, uh, um, when he passed away, that I visited Massachusetts. So each time I bring pack, back another piece of winter clothing back with me. And, uh, and so, and then by Christmas, I had everything back in, Ma in Massachusetts already. Uh, so for ready for the winter, because it actually, you know, uh, last, when I was at last Christmas, I was in Massachusetts and, and, my head deacon, uh, uh, Bert, who lives not too far away from me uh, here at DBC, uh, he uh, texted me a picture of snow in my car. That was pretty funny. So yesterday, we had a storm came in. What was it? Monday? And today is Tuesday, right? Yeah, Monday. So we had, um, you know, they, they're laughing because they, you know, they have a, they, they think, that, you know, they probably, they think that I'm going to laugh at them for, you know, for uh, um, the fact that they like, you know, they, they want snow so bad. <laughs> And I was like, no, you don't. <laughs> it's it's. I've been through two feet of snow uh, several times, and and it's not fun. And then you have. I've been I've been in fifty below weather, and I'm not talking about the wind chill factor. That's Iowa. Iowa's getting wrecked here. I heard. And my good friend Titus, who does our website, who I taught in his home, him and Jody for years, and Marion, Iowa, um, and has been part of my ministry for a long time. So he he was. I was I was texting him saying, hey, dude, you got to you got to move down here. It's like, I heard you getting hammered over there and, and with the snow and the cold weather, extreme cold. So today, the big thing is the problem, the, 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 it's the cold weather, this is nothing, but the, what makes it a little, a little tricky is that they're not, the homes are not really winterized. <laughs> they don't have insulation, right? Over there. So I'm in a cottage, so they got, you know, they're all worried about you know frozen pipes. It's like, oh, great. So Bert comes by you know, later and he, 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 they cover up the faucet, so. I didn't do that last year. It was extreme cold weather last Christmas when I was out of town and I didn't have any busted pipes or anything, thank God. And then, uh, but this, you know, I said, hey, hey, go ahead, you can do it. And uh, so, you know, you leave the water trickling in the faucet and all that stuff. And, uh, but then I, I woke up this morning 
And, uh, you know, everything was cool. And I, I go and take a shower, I'll come back. I was in here in my office and I go back and I was pr- in process. Of, I was in praying and in prayer. And I was walking back and forth and I, I stepped in some water. I was like, what the heck? What is this? <laughs> well, my hot water heater. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit where the seal at the top of it was starting to leak a little bit. So I was like, oh, great. So I called, I got a hold of the, uh, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the, the maintenance guy here that I rent uh, from the place I rent. And uh, he just said basically what I thought it was. And then I just, I just have to put a, like a, put a towel there. And, and, uh, but it has a, like a you know, drip thing pan down at the bottom. But they put the thing too far forward on the drip pan. So it went into the, in the, on, the, on the floor. Anyways, that's my, my, you know, my morning. And uh, I just had a weird last, last night was a really tough sleep. And finally, and uh, some weird, yeah, it's just, maybe because I, but I was, you know, I just said, hey, you know, maybe I, I don't think I was worried about anything, but, um, you know, as long as the heat's running, <laughs> but they had years, you know, they had fireplaces, you know, I mean, I, if the heat went out, I, I wouldn't mind having a fireplace, you know, to, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll run the fire. That's what my brother, Jimmy, uh, Chris does when he, uh, when they lose power. But the one thing is, so if we lose power today, they have some rolling, they have rolling blackouts, but I haven't heard anything yet because the uh, Huntsville utilities will tell me with the t- text, but I haven't heard anything. So, um, hopefully we don't have power outages, you know, they rolling ones, you know, so, and, uh, anyway, so I, um, you know, I, I don't mind, you know, because I said, I, I moved it up to around 70 because it was, it was like single digits here last night and the house is pretty good. I mean, but when you get to the back of the house in the bathroom and where my, where my washer and dryer is, it's kind of cool back there. So it's, it's, uh, you know, the back of the house is like the cold is, it's kind of cool. So anyway, so I get up for the shower this morning. I was like, it felt good to hot shower, but man, I tell you, it, it can get a little chilly. So, um, which I don't mind. I'd rather it cooler than it than really hot, and that's why you know I. So anyway, that's my wonderful. Uh, so now, so now that we're waiting, you know, I'm waiting for the. Uh, it's going to be single digits tonight, and we'll probably get up to the, maybe 20 today. And so I went out there to put my my trash out there because it's a pickup on Monday, but because I'm not in Luther King Day, it's today. But I doubt they'll be by to pick it up, and uh, it was like a. It was like a little, it's like an inch or two of snow, but it's like, like it was like, like hard, like it was iced. <laughs> like I'm going, oh, this is fun. So anyways, uh, so I don't, I don't plan on going anywhere, but, um, cause they don't, and that's the other thing they don't have any, cause they don't have it that often. They don't, they don't need it is, uh, they don't have any infrastructure. They don't have plows and sand trucks and like in Iowa, they'd wait till the storm's over before they started plowing and sanding the roads. That basically everything shuts down. But Massachusetts, I, I was telling people like, uh-uh, everything. The, the plows are going all the way because people want the roads cleared, you know. And uh, so it's kind of funny, Massachusetts. That's why our ta- the Massachusetts tax is so high because that kind of stuff. I'd wait for the storm to end. You shut it all down. Everything be quiet. But I you know I know people who are, you know, who need to, or you know, ambulance, EMTs, and all that stuff, and hospital people need to get to their their jobs, but. Um, that's why they do it. So that's a little bit of excitement going on. So keep me in prayer that we don't lose the power and my heat goes okay. And I, my, my hot water heater can hold out till my, uh, my maintenance guy's dad shows up. He's a cool guy. I really like him. Reminds me of my father. So he, his dad, his son, this guy who's the maintenance guy here at, uh, where I rent from, he goes, he has his dad working for him. <laughs> I've had him over. He's a great guy. He reminds me of my father. So he goes, I said, geez, does he pay you a lot? Because you're, you know, he says, not enough. <laughs> so he's, he's a cool guy. So anyways, 
we're having a we're having a blast down here in Huntsville. Actually, outside of this one or two days, it's supposed to warm up by uh, you know supposed to get warm up by Thursday and you know have some rain, so wash away this stuff. It won't last long, and uh, but uh, they don't really have extreme cold that often, so I can deal with this. This is this is not a big deal. One one or two days a year, and uh, and so I'll uh, I'll read you maybe I'll read you one of the things that, that someone said in the church over here at DVC, and uh, it was really fun. I read it at class on Sunday. All right, that's enough. Let's get going. We got a lot of ground to cover here. So uh, let's take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves and determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain our fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your word. We thank you for the grace, the faith, the salvation, your work on our behalf in eternity past, the personal work of your Son of the Cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. Father, I pray the Spirit would do a mighty work through both myself and uh, as the communicator and those in the audience. I pray, Father, that by the Spirit, help, help them to, the, in the audience to learn, understand, and apply what's being taught to concentrate. Please break down any barriers sin and Satan might put up that would hinder that from happening. I also pray that you would help me Empower me by the Holy Spirit to concentrate with all the distractions going on. I pray, Father, help me to concentrate so I can communicate your full counsel today to your people with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power. I also pray there'll be no problems with the recordings, the video, and the audio, and upload these things to our various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. And uh, you pray we use them mightily and protect them from the evil one and the streaming video by YouTube and our internet, protect them all. And also, I pray we wouldn't have any rolling power outages and loss of power here while I'm broadcasting. And so... We just pray for this in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, you should be at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I'll read the, uh, we'll be reading the whole chapter from the Net Bible and then looking at my translation of, the, of that chapter and then looking at verse 15 in detail. Uh, this is actually the third, I think we're in the third of uh, f- uh, five hours in this particular study of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. So, yeah, so we finish off Ephesians 2, 15 on uh, this this coming Saturday, so this is actually the um, this is actually the wait a minute yeah yeah it's the fourth uh, it's the fourth of uh, five lessons so far. Well, let me see. Can you count, Bill? One, two. <laughs> yeah, it's the third hour. So of Ephesians two fifteen, and we have two more hours to go. We'll finish it off on Saturday. So it's tough when you get old. So as you can see on the board, we look at Ephesians two fifteen, which teaches us. Uh, that racial identity is maintained in the new humanity. So this will constitute our 114th hour in Ephesians. So let's, without further ado, let's get right to it because we have a lot of ground to cover. We'll be looking at uh, Romans uh, 11 and also uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, the new covenant. And uh, so we, we have, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a lot of ground to cover here and, and a lot of interesting things that, to, to discuss. So uh, let's look at... Uh, 
and I'm, I'll be reading from, the, as I said, the Net Bible. Let's read chapter two for the Net Bible, and then we'll look at chapter two in my, my translation, and then look at this subject here today that, as I said before, we have in Ephesians 2.15, Paul teaches, teaches us, or the implication is that racial identity in the body of Christ is maintained in the new humanity. The body of Christ is actually the new humanity constitute, uh, compi- comprised of uh, Jewish and Gentile born-again believers. So, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to the, this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the year, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us also formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you were saved, and he raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you were saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand, so we may do them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the Jewish people, that is performed on the body by human hands, that you, Gentiles, were at that time, without Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So, uh, he's just like he did in verses 1 through 3 of the chapter, here in verse 12, he's describing the pre-justification or pre-conversion state and status of Gentiles. Then it says in verse 13, like he does in verse 4, but now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one and who destroyed the middle wall of petition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. He did this uh, did this to create in himself one new man, the new humanity, out of two, thus making peace and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by which the hostility has been killed. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near so that through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household because you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And him... The whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So, uh, and, uh, before I read from my translation of that same chapter, uh, we see uh, briefly, and by way of review, to, for those who might be new to the study, Ephesians was written by Paul at approximately between 60 and 62 AD during his first Roman imprisonment, which he eventually was released from in 62 AD. So he's under house arrest when he writes this. He also wrote Colossians, Philemon, and, uh, and, and, um, and Ephesians during this Roman imprisonment. And now uh, it's written by Paul. Paul says he wrote it. And uh, there are many who believe that this was a pseudonymous letter, someone uh, posing as Paul because they revered Paul and was trying to increase his fame. That is false. Uh, Paul, the burden of proof is on these people who think that 
uh, that this is a pseudonymous letter. The burden of proof is on them to have better evidence than that uh, because Paul gives his name here. Second of all, the early church, including Paul, uh, he, dis, he, he uh, did not accept pseudonymous letters. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He uh, mentions about someone uh, teach, uh, writing, he was concerned that somebody had written uh, something to uh, post, uh, telling the Thessalonian church that they were him and saying that the day of the Lord had start, started already. And he says, that's not the case. And even if somebody uh, posing as me, said, well, letter says that from me, says it's from me, and it says that, it's false. And then later in the letter, at the very end of the letter, he gives his authenticating mark to them. Why? To, in order to, uh, so they'd be understanding that it was really, truly Paul that was writing to them and not someone posing as him. And then also we see that Irenaeus in his work on baptism, so they, the early church uh, removed a pastor for doing that, uh, posing as Paul because he revered Paul, wanted to increase his fame and uh, writing a letter to a church saying he was Paul and they removed him from the pulpit. So uh, the church has never accepted pseudonymous letters. It's ridiculous that that's still going on in modern uh, biblical scholarship. But uh, then we have uh, the, the, uh, the recipients of this letter. This is a circular letter. It's not written just to the, the Ephesian Christian community. Uh, it's written to all the, the, the Christian communities throughout the Roman province of Asia in the first century. And we know that because uh, the earliest and best manuscripts do not have the word Ephesus in verse 1 of chapter 1. Uh, the oldest and best manuscripts have don't have that. Now, we also know that many uh, believe that it was the, the letter to the Laodiceans. As uh, we can see in Colossians, Paul wants the Colossians to exchange letter with the, La the letter that went to the Laodiceans, who are neighbors of that is. And, uh, and so many people think that is actually the letter that we call Ephesians. And I believe that because a man named Martian, who was a heretic, he read these, this, same, this letter we call Ephesians and said it was addressed to the Laodiceans. And so I believe that's uh, based upon these things that uh, it, uh, this was a circular letter. In fact, to support that, there are no personal greetings. Uh, even though Paul was there in Ephesus for, according to Acts 18, 19, and 20, for three years. So we don't see that. And so we see that this uh, letter is written to Gentile Christians in the Roman province of Asia. And in verses 3 through 4 of chapter 1, we have the prologue. And in the contents of the letter, we have a triadic pattern, not only in verse 3, but throughout the, these verses. The work of the Father is, worked in, is spoken about in verse uh, 3 through 6. The work of the Son in 7, 7 through 12. And 13 and 14, we have the work of the Holy Spirit. And so then we have the prayer, the first of two intercessory prayers that Paul offered up to the Father on behalf of these recipients of this letter. And it was prompted by the fact that they were believers and also because they were practicing the command to love one another. And that was very important because the practice of being a love one is, if we read Ephesians chapter 4, as we saw in our introduction, that's the purpose of the letter, to maintain unity and unity experientially between not only the Gentile Christians with themselves, but Gentile Christians with Jewish Christians. The practice of the command to love one another is the way to maintain that unity experientially. And we know that from the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 4, as I pointed out. So now we get to, when we get to chapter 2, we have Paul describing the pre-conversion, pre-justification state of these Gentile Christians in verses 1 through 3, and also in verse 12, as I pointed out to you. And the reason why? To accentuate the grace of God, which is, flows from the exercise of God's attribute of love. And His mercy it also flows from His attribute of love. And so we see that in verses 11, uh, we, actually before that, if you look at verses 4 through uh, 10 uh, of, of the chapter, 
uh, of chapter two, we have, you know, Paul says to these Gentile Christians that, and this is true of the Jewish Christians, that you're saved by grace. Uh, you don't earn it or deserve it. It's an unmerited blessing. It's a gift from God. And uh, it's based upon the merits of the object of your faith that God saved us. And then we see that he saved us for the practice of good works that glorify him, done in the spirit. And uh, not on the basis of works will we say, but uh, justified, but rather uh, for good works. And so, because then we have the spirit once we're justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Then we have the great section of the chapter, verses 11 through 22, where Paul discusses the fact that, uh, describes for the fact that the, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, both were raised and seated with Christ at the moment of justification through the baptism of the Spirit, as we saw in verses 6 through 7. But uh, they're also united now uh, through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. And so we see that this is a new humanity that will reign over the works of God's hands. Remember, we've been pointing this out, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Adam and Eve, the human race, who are the progenitors of the human race, were to rule over the works of God's hands. But we see what Paul says in chapter 2, that we don't see everything under his subjected under mankind. And the reason why that is, because it's subjected to Satan, who's the God, temporary God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world is under his power, and he deceives the entire world. Revelation chapter 12. In fact, he offered up the kingdoms of the world to Jesus in his temptation, and Luke 4, and the Lord, of course, emphatically rebuked him with the word of God, and that, would have been a, that wouldn't have been a legitimate temptation if he did not have that kind of authority, and he does temporarily. So, therefore, the new humanity composed of Jewish and Gentile believers who are in union with Christ, identified with him in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father, and Christ is the head of the new humanity, the last datum, he and the church at the second advent of Christ, which we're talking about in our study on Habakkuk chapter 3 at DBC, and also the Day of the Lord series, we'll be talking about it on Wednesday evenings over there. Uh, we see that the church at the second advent of Christ will not only um, uh, destroy Antichrist and the false prophet, mainly the Lord will do that, and the elect angels will come back with them, the Old Testament saints and resurrection body, tribulation martyrs, and not only is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet killed, and the tribulation armies destroyed, and, but Satan and the fallen angels are in prison for a thousand years, and we, the church, are going to reign over the works of God's hand. In fact, the whole curse from the, the, the planet, on the planet since the fall will be lifted at that time. And Paul mentions that the whole creation groans until the revealing of the sons of God and their resurrection bodies with Christ at the second advent. And yes, that's exciting news for us. So, look at chapter 2 now. In my translation, now correspondingly, even though each and every one of you is a corporate unit with spiritually dead ones because of your transgressions, in other words, because of your sins, each and every one of you formally lived by means of these in agreement with the standard of the unregenerate people of this age, which is the production of the cosmic world system, in agreement with the standard of the sovereign ruler, namely the sovereign governmental authority ruling over the evil spirits residing in the earth's atmosphere. Specifically, the spirit who is presently working the lives of those members of the human race who are characterized by disobedience, among whom each and every one of us also, formally for our own selfish benefit, conducted our lives by means of those lusts which are produced by our flesh, specifically by indulging those inclinations which are produced by our flesh. In other words, those impulses which are the product of our flesh. Consequently, each and every one of us in the Christian community caused ourselves to be children, who are objects of wrath because of our natural condition from physical birth, the imputation of Adam's sin at physical birth, just as the rest correspondingly caused themselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of their natural condition from physical birth. But, verse 4, because God is rich 
with regards to mercy, because of the exercise of his great love with which he loved each and every one of us, even though each and every one of us as a corporate unit were spiritually dead ones because of our transgressions, he caused each and every one of us to be made alive together with the one and only Christ. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace. Verse 6, he says specifically, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be raised with him. Correspondingly, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be seated in the heavenlies because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. He did this. He did this so he could display for his own glory during the ages which are certain to come, the incomparable wealth, which is the product of his grace because of kindness for the benefit of each and every one of us because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. That last prepositional phrase, you see it in Christ. It actually has the figure of metonymy. It's causal, the preposition there. And it's telling us the reason why this is. Uh, what he says in verse 7. It's because of our, it has the figure of metonymy, meaning the person of Christ is put for our faith in him at justification and our union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit and our justification. That's the reason why uh, we have, what, what the reason for what he says in verse 7, in the previous verse. So he says he did this so he could display for his own glory during the ages which are certain to come, the incomparable wealth which is the product of his grace because of kindness for the benefit of each one of us. And why is he going to do, why is he, how, how come he did this? Well, what was the reason why? Because of our faith in and union identification with Christ Jesus. Each and every one of you, verse 8, as a corporate unit to save because of grace by means of faith. In other words, this salvation never originated from any one of you as a source. It originated as the gift from God. It never originated from meritorious actions as a source so that a person cannot for their own benefit enter into the state of boasting. For each and every one of us are his creative workmanship for each and every one of us in the Christian community has been created by means of our faith in and union identification with Christ Jesus. There it's means. It's telling us the means that the means by which God has made us his creative workmanship. And so he says for each and every one of us has been created by means of our faith in and union identification with Christ Jesus in order to produce actions which are divine good. These God prepared in advance so that each of us would conduct our lives by means of them. Then we have verse 11. Therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formerly each one of you who belonged to the Gentile race with respect to the human body, specifically those who received the designation uncircumcision by those who received the designation circumcision, with respect to the human body performed by human hands. Each one of you used to be characterized as without a relationship with Christ. Each one of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each of you used to be strangers to the most important promise, the Messianic promise, which is the product of the covenants. Each of you used to not possess a confident expectation of blessing. Consequently, each one of you used to be without a relationship with God in the sphere of the cosmic world system. However, because of your faith in and union identification with Christ Jesus, each and every one of you Gentile Christians as a corporate unit who were formerly far away have now been brought near by means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. For he himself personifies our peace, namely by causing both groups to be one, specifically by destroying the wall which served as the barrier, that is, that which caused hostility between the two races and the two races with God. In other words, by nullifying by means of his human nature, the law, the Mosaic law, composed of the commandments, consisting of a written code of laws, in order that he might cause the two races to be created into one new humanity. And what was the means by which he did this? By means of faith in himself at justification 
and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. So in himself, is like in Christ Jesus, is shorthand for faith in Jesus at justification and union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit. Then it says, thus he caused peace to be established between the two races and the two races with God. In other words, in order that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God through his cross. Consequently, he put to death the hostility between the two races and the two races with God. What was the means? Again, it was by means of faith in himself for justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Correspondingly, uh, he as a result came proclaiming peace for the benefit of each and every one of you. Namely, those who are far off, likewise peace to those who are near. Consequently, through the personal intermediate agency of himself, each and every one of us as a corporate unit in the Christian community, namely, both groups are experiencing access by means of the omnipotence of the one spirit to the presence of the Father. Indeed, therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit are no longer foreigners to the covenants of promise, that is, foreign citizens, but rather, each and every one of you, he says, as a corporate unit, are fellow citizens with the saints, that is, members of God's household. Why? Verse 20, because each and every one of you as a corporate unit have been built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to each one of you by the apostles as well as prophets. Simultaneously, he himself, namely Christ Jesus, is the cornerstone. On the basis of this uh, temple it's, uh, building, it's being continually fitted inextricably together by means of, of justification by faith and union identification with him. The whole building is growing into a holy temple and it's growing spiritually uh, by appropriating by faith, union, and identification with the Lord. In other words, by appropriating by faith your union identification with Him, all of you, without exception, are being built together into God's dwelling place by means of the omnipotence of the Spirit. What a great chapter in the Bible. It's fantastic. Now, we see that, as we pointed out in our previous classes, we, had no we noted the second surgeon, assertion. There's three in Ephesians 2.15. Uh, the first assertion, quickly, uh, he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. The third, he did this to create in himself one new man out of two. And the third is thus making peace, is the third assertion. Now, as we just pointed out, the second assertion in this verse is a purpose clause, which presents the purpose of Jesus Christ nullifying the law, the Mosaic law, which is composed of the commandments consisting of a written code of laws. And he did this by means of his human nature. It, it states that he did this in order that he might cause both Jewish and Gentile Christians to be created into one new humanity. And he accomplished this by means of their faith in himself at justification and union identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Now, it's extremely important. We'll do this, we'll investigate this and teach, uh, uh, go into this in detail in the, in the rest of the class. It's extremely important that you and I understand that Paul's not teaching here in Ephesians 2.15, that there's no Jewish section of the church or that the racial distinctions between the Jewish and Gentile races no longer exist. Let me repeat this. This is very important because there's false doctrine out there and I pointed out an example of a man who's gone in, uh, fell for the, this, uh, been deceived by this false doctrine uh, and it's related because he doesn't understand this principle here. It's extremely important again that you and I as Christians understand that Paul in Ephesians 2.15 is not, I repeat, not teaching that there's no Jewish section of the church or that the racial distinctions between the Jewish and Gentile races 
no longer exist. In other words, the racial identity of both races is not abolished or done away when Paul asserts that Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, created both Jewish and Gentile Christian communities into one new humanity. What it does mean is that Jews remain Jews and Gentiles remain Gentiles with all their distinctions and differences so that there's a unity with distinction. This is something that people don't understand about God. And this is why we should accept all races. God loves diversity. <laughs> he Look at creation. I mean, how many different species of animals and insects and birds we have, you know, and fish in the sea. I mean, it's just incredible. And look at us. We're all, we, we're all basically biologically the same as far as, in, you know, we have souls, we have bodies, but, and we have volition, but we're all different from each other. That's amazing. Even within our families. And we might, you know, might have a lot of the characteristics of our parents, but we're different though from each other. In fact, we have different, if everybody has a different fingerprint, unique in them, you get your eyes, your iris, whether they, you know, they, that's why they do facial stuff. They, they, we're unique, yet we're diverse from each other. You know, there's male and female, there's Jew and Gentile, and there's all kinds of Jew, Gentile races out there, non-Jewish Christian. And there's black, white, Chinese. It's great. One of the things I like about, used to like about this place I used to go in Massachusetts uh, called uh, Cafe Nero in Dedham, Mass. And uh, I had a place in Boston, but I love that place because it were all kinds of races, people, languages, Russian, Chinese, Korean, you know, you know, it was that all, it was very ethnically diversified. And I loved that. Come down to Huntsville, it's a lot like that too here. There's a lot of people from all around the world that come into Huntsville because it's the military industrial complex for America and the world. And so, you know, we uh, basically, you know, uh, we have a melting pot here, which is amazing. It's absolutely fantastic. So God likes distinctions and, and in his church, he does too. So, uh, you know, like it says in Galatians, what is it? Galatians 3, 6 through 6, 28. 3, 6, chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. There's, uh, I'll show it to you real quick. So you see it with your own eyes instead of me just trying to memorize it or remember what it says. <laughs> for, all, for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For you, all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. That doctrine has changed the world. <laughs> uh, it's just incredible. So, God loves distinctions, but you got to also remember, you know, there, as I said before, there was a, a uh, in last class, there's a, a man, a Gentile man, who's a pastor, and I think he was retired, or he, I don't know, I think he had a church split like I did, and he didn't get back into the ministry, and I think there was a lot of, we never really got to talk too much about that, a little bit. But um, I remember, he, you know, he used to come over with Titus and Jody's house where I taught for nine years in Marion, Iowa. They moved in next door. And uh, so he, you know, he, uh, you know, he was dressed like a rabbi. <laughs> you know, he had the big bushy beard. And, and he'd walk around town with his Hebrew Bible. And so he believed that uh, since he is a, a believer in Jesus Christ and Jesus is a Jew, that he must live like a Jew. Now, where is it? Now, now that means you have to go according to the law, right? So I would say, and say, it's like, okay, in Acts chapter 15, okay, the Judaizers who were Jewish Christians who believed in Jesus and they're trying to get the Gentiles in Paul's ministries to obey the law, okay? Because if you want to be a Jew, you got to live like a Jew and the Jews live according to the law, right? Well, guess what? The early church, Peter, James, and John, the pillar of the church, Acts 15, they agreed with Paul and they said no to the Judaizers. No, the Gentiles do not have to live under the law. 
So there it goes, right there. He's he, This guy has been walking around like a rabbi with a bushy beard. His wife probably doesn't like the bushy beard anyways. Nothing against bushy beards. It's in style now, I guess, especially the young guys. Maybe I'll grow a bushy beard. Well, that'll shock all of you, right? I can't grow it on my head. I'll grow it on my face. I can do that pretty good. And uh, so, you know, so that's, so there's ridiculous. See how this, a person, is, you know, he's walking around like he's posing as a Jewish, the Jews must have a laugh at him. And, you know, you're, oh, you're going to be like, you're going to be like, you got to live like, you got to be a Jew, huh? So, again, it's just false doctrine, and this was a pastor. And I'm there, that, that, that what he believes is around, and it's been around for a long time, okay? So he's not someone that's, the, it's, this is a new thing. It's been around. Nothing new under the sun, right? At least since the day of the church began. So, again, what all this means, again, let's go back to these points. It's extremely important that you and I understand that Paul in Ephesians 2.15 is not teaching that there's no Jewish section of the church or that racial distinctions between the two races no longer exist. In other words, as we pointed out, the racial identity of both races is not abolished or done away when Paul asserts that Jesus Christ created both Jewish and Gentile communities, Christian communities, into one new humanity. What it does mean is that the Jews remain Jews, as I said, Gentile remains Gentiles, with all the distinctions and differences of so there's unity with distinctions, diversity. The reason for this is that both Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 and Romans 11, remember those who taught, I taught Romans years ago, over 500 hours, and it's all on our website and the written articles too. Uh, both passages teach that the Gentile Christian is united to the Jewish Christian. The Gentile Christian experiences the blessings of the new covenant with the gift of the Spirit and forgiveness of sins because they've been united to the Jewish Christian who received the new covenant through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Now, Paul asserts in Romans 9, 4, chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, that the covenants, which would include the new covenant, <clears throat> were given to the Jews and not the Gentiles. And this is clear from the teaching of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And Jesus taught in John 4, 22, that salvation is of the Jews. Look at Romans 9. Uh, he says in verse, Paul says in Romans 9, 1 through 5, I'm telling the truth in Christ and I'm not lying, for my conscience assures me and the Holy Spirit I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, my fellow countrymen, the Jewish people. He's a Jew. Here it is, who are Israelites. Now look what he says. Here's their privileges. To them belong the adoption of sons, the glory, the covenants, the Abrahamic, Davidic, Palestinian new covenants and the Mosaic covenant the giving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and from them, by human descent, came the Christ from the tribe of Judah, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Uh, look, it says in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, the new covenant is uh, was the big passage on the new covenant, along with Ezekiel 36, but it says in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, indeed a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, with the people of Israel and Judah. And uh, by the way, uh, remember the, the Lord's Supper? This is the new covenant, my blood. The, the Lord suffering the wrath of God on the cross and reconciling us sinners to a holy God and redeeming us out of the slave market of sin and propitiating the Father's holiness, that, uh, that served as the basis for the new covenant. The new covenant blessings could not flow to the believer in the Jewish community or the Gentile community uh, unless Jesus did what he did at the cross and to his resurrection and session at the right hand of the Father. So then it says in verse 32, it will not be like the old covenant, the Mosaic law, that I made with your ancestors when I delivered them from Egypt. Why? For they violated the covenant. It's a conditional covenant. 
even though I was like a faithful husband to them, says the Lord. But I will make a new covenant. And it's an unconditional covenant, which it does not, uh, the fulfillment of which does not demand the obedience of the Jews. It's based upon the faithfulness of God. But I will make a new covenant with the whole nation of Israel after I plant them back in the land, says the Lord. And they are back in the land. I will put my law within them, and he'll do that through the national regeneration of the nation of Israel at second advent, or you can do it in the church. There are Jewish people that believe in Jesus now, Messianic Jews, that uh, ex- uh, appropriate the blessings of the new covenant through faith in Christ, like we do, us Gentile believers. So he says, I will make a new covenant with the whole nation of Israel after I plant them back in the land, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts and minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. People will no longer need to teach their neighbors and relatives to know me for all of them, from the least important to the most important will know me, says the Lord, for I will forgive their sin and will no longer call to mind the wrong they have done. Uh, Let me see if I can give you another passage. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, let's go to... Let me flip over to, you know, you can follow me here. Ezekiel 36. And let's see. Look at verse 22. Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, says to the, say, say to the house of Israel, Ezekiel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake that I'm about to act, O house of Israel, but for the sake of my holy reputation, which you profane among the nations where you went. I will magnify my great name, that has been profaned among the nations, that you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I magnify myself among you in their sight. And this will be, he'll do during this, this tribulation period, the last three and a half years, the 70th week of Daniel, and his second advent. And look what he says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries, and then I will bring you into the, to your land. I will sprinkle you with pure water, and you'll be clean from all your impurities, and I will pur- purify you from all your idols. This has not been done yet, to the people living over in Israel right now, unless they're born again and saved. I will give you a new heart, here's the new covenant, and I'll put a new spirit within you. That's very important. And I believe, and he says, I will remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. And then it says, I will put my spirit within you. And so, uh, so that's very important. That's the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the spirit are part of the new covenant provisions. I'll take the initiative and you will obey my statutes and carefully observe my regulations. So you can go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. So we see that the Gentile experiences the blessings of the new covenant with the gift of the Spirit and forgiveness of sins because they've been united to Jewish Christians who receive the new covenant through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. As we pointed out, Paul searched in Romans 9, verses 4 to 5, that the covenants, which would include the new covenant, were given to the Jews and not the Gentiles. And this is clear from the teaching of Jeremiah and Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, and Ezekiel 36. And also because Jesus taught in John 4, 22, that salvation is from the Jews. So therefore, people, the Gentile Christian experiences the blessings of the new covenant, which was given to Israel as a result of the Holy Spirit, uniting them with Jewish Christians at the moment of their justification through the baptism of the Spirit. And Paul, in Romans eleven sixteen employs two metaphors to illustrate his assertion in Romans eleven two that God has by no means rejected Israel forever and his assertion in Romans 11, verses 11 to 15, that there'll be a future national regeneration of Israel. But in, these, in this chapter of Romans 11, we see that Paul is ta- discussing how the Gentile Christian is benefit is is uh, is benefiting from the the, the 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 new covenant forgiveness of sins the gift of the spirit why they're justified through faith in Jesus Christ and why they have all these blessings that Jewish Christians have 
the baptism of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, and he's going to use a couple of metaphors to describe that for us. And he calls Gentiles uh, the wild olive branch, uh, and then we uh, the Jews, the, uh, the uh, Israel as the olive tree. And as we'll see, and we study this in great detail, uh, the olive the branches on the olive tree Israel are regenerate Jews. Those are not, not taken off are the unregenerate Jews. And the wild olive tree, us, contrary to nature, as Paul says, we'll see, are united to the Jewish Christians. So therefore, that's why we benefit from the new covenant. It wasn't given to us Gentiles, but it was given to the Jews, but we're, because we're united to the Jews through faith in Jesus Christ, the justification, and union identification through the baptism of the Spirit at our justification. That's why we're united to them, and that's why we, exper we experience all the blessings that Jewish Christians exp uh, uh, experience through the new covenant. So it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 16, my translation, now if and let us assume that it's true, for the sake of argument, that the first portion is as an eternal spiritual truth holy, and of course we agree it is, because it is taught in the scriptures, then the lump is as an eternal spiritual truth also. Furthermore, if and let us assume it's true for the sake of argument, that the root is as an eternal spiritual truth, that phrase is expressing the gnomic present there in the verb, and, and it's, uh, of course it is holy, we agree it is, because it's taught in the scriptures, then the branches are as a spiritual truth also. So the first metaphor the first piece of dough in the lump is taken from Numbers 15, 17 through 21. The first piece of dough is analogous to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are the progenitors of the nation of Israel. Why? Because they accepted by faith the promises that God made to them. The second metaphor, which follows it in verse 17, the root and the branches parallels the first that we see in verse 16. Now the root parallels the first piece of dough in that it's analogous to the patriarchs, whereas the branches are analogous to the lump in that they're analogous to the saved biological descendants of Abraham. Now the first piece of dough and the root parallel each other and are analogous to the patriarchs and in particular Abraham. The lump and the branches also are also parallel to each other and are analogous to the saved biological descendants of Abraham to Sarah. Now, in Romans 11, 17-24, we have, look at this passage. Look at Romans eleven seventeen 17 to 24 in the Net Bible. It says, Now, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them, and participated in the richness of the olive root, the blessings that flow from the Abrahamic covenant, do not boast over the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Our salvation is of the Jews. Then you will say, The branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, they were broken off because of their unbelief, the unsaved Jews. But you stand by your faith. Do not be arrogant, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. And now he's not talking to the people that are already saved because you can't lose your salvation. He's saying uh, Gentiles, uh, if they do what the Jew majority of Jews have done since the first advent to Christ uh, and not believing in Jesus, uh, he won't spare unregenerate Gentiles either. Very important we understand that. Verse 22, notice therefore, the kindness and harshness of God. Harshness towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, Gentiles, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And so, again, he's talking about the Gentiles as a corporate unit, not as individuals here. So if the Gentiles uh, reject Jesus, if a Gentile rejects, they start rejecting Jesus like the Jews did, then they'll follow the, the unsaved Jews, then they will be uh, face eternal condemnation as well. There'll be no... There will no be uh, uh, no um, uh, 
one, uh, the Gentiles are not better than the Gen Jews, in other words. So verse 23, and in they, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So if an unsaved Jew decides he's going to believe in Jesus, he's saying that I, God will save them. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these branches be grafted it back in to their own olive tree? So in Romans 11, 17 through 24, the branches are connected to an olive tree. And in the Old Testament, the old olive tree was a figure for the nation of Israel. You can see as documentation, Jeremiah 11, 16 and 17, Hosea chapter 14, verses 4 through 6, make that clear. Thus, the branches of the olive tree is a reference to born-again Jews because the Jews, born-again Jews, uh, is uh, the olive tree is used in Jeremiah 11, 16 and 17, as I pointed out, in Hosea 14, verses 4 through 6, as a figure for Israel, and unbelieving Jews are the ones who broken off, the branches broken off. Now, we know that the Jews originated from Abraham and that branches originate from a root of a tree. So therefore, the branches are analogous to born-again Jews and since they come from the root, then aparhe, which is the word for first portion, which parallels, parallels reza, root, must refer to Abraham as well. Now the root, again, is a reference to Abraham. The fact that it is, it's indicated by Paul's statement in Romans 4.16 where he teaches that Abraham is the spiritual father, or we could say the progenitor, of both Jewish and Gentile believers who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, the remnant of believers in Israel does not constitute the first part or the beginning of the nation of Israel, and neither does Jesus Christ himself, but rather Abraham. He's the progenitor of the nation of Israel. So in Romans eleven seventeen, Paul presents the prodigies of a first-class condition, like he did in verse 16, in this process, in verse 17, he reminds his Gentile Christian readers that branches were broken off, i.e. unsaved Israelites, and they, as a wild olive tree, them, these Gentiles, have been grafted in among the branches, i.e. born-again Israelites. He also reminds them, in this process, that they have become partakers of the rich root of the olive tree, Abraham, and in particular divine promises given to him contained in the Abrahamic covenant. So it says in Romans 11:17, in my translation, However, if and let's assume it's true for the sake of argument, that some which are a part of the branches were broken off, but because you were a wild olive, you were grafted in among them so that you became joint partakers of the olive tree's root, the blessings that flow from the Abrahamic covenant, which produces abundant oil. And of course, we agree that this is a fact of history. So Gentile Christians here are joint partakers, Paul says, with regenerate Israel of these divine blessings because... They are his spiritual descendants. And they are his spiritual descendants because like Abraham, these Gentile Christians, you and I, exercise faith in the Lord. So Paul uses the noun argielios. Arg, it was argelios. 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 So it means wild olive tree. Argel, arg. Argielios. Okay, that's how you pronounce it. I spell, pronounce the word. Sorry about that. I'm rushing through this. Paul, forgive me for that, because I, I have a lot of ground to cover here. Paul, so Paul's using the noun Argielios. Elios, excuse me. Wild olive, which is a metaphorical sense, used in a metaphorical sense for the Gentiles, in contrast to the olive tree, which again, in the Old Testament, was used metaphorically of Israel. Now, when it says we're grafted in, that's the word 
enkentrizo, which is used in a metaphorical sense of Paul's Gentile Christian readers being united with Jewish Christians. Now, this is very important. This is very cool. The usual procedure was to present a shoot or a slip of a cultivated olive tree into a wild one. However, in Romans 11.24, Paul makes clear that the metaphor he is using is contrary to nature. Don't miss that. It's contrary to nature of grafting a wild olive branch, a Gentile, into a cultivated olive tree, Israel. Such a procedure was unnatural and would be unfruitful, which is precisely Paul's point with his Gentile Christian readers. And he wishes to underscore the miraculous nature of their new relationship with God and other Jewish Christians. And also Paul's trying to emphasize that in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. The normal procedure was to take a shoot from an olive tree that bears good fruit and graft it onto a wild olive stalk whose fruit is poor. And the result is a tree with vigorous growth which bears good olives. However, Paul reverses the procedure and speaks of grafting a wild olive onto the stalk of a good olive, and then later he speaks of grafting back some of the good olive branches that have been cut out. So a procedure of grafting a wild olive onto a good olive was not the normal process, which is why Paul, this is why he reverses the normal procedure in order to humble us Gentile Christians who might become arrogant towards Jewish Christians and unsaved Jews. He rebukes those Gentile Christians who might be arrogant towards the Jews, saved and unsaved, because their spiritual heritage is from the Jews. In other words, salvation is of the Jews. And, and unfortunately, in church history, we've seen uh, people who are believers in Jesus Christ, Gentiles, persecuting Jewish people because they crucified Christ. But they forget that the Gentiles did too. Uh, Pilate knew he was guilty and he still crucified, uh, innocent and he, knew he, and he still crucified him to keep the Jews happy. So they, both Jew and Gentiles were responsible. And uh, they both knew he was innocent. So we see here, well, at least the pilot did, the Jews thought he was a, a, a demon. And uh, so and it was of Satan. So we see here that it should be no place for anti-Semitism in the church. In fact, anti-Semitism is kind of a misnomer because there are many Semitic peoples, um, you know, people who are Arabs, uh, they're, they're Semitic people. And so really we could say anti-Israel, which is really the best way to say it, anti-Israel, anti-Jewish sentiment. Uh, uh, the persecution of Jews, persecution of Israel is not, uh, is, should never be found in the church. Okay? Now, and we'll wrap up our study today with this. Paul is not saying in Romans eleven seventeen through 24 that saved Gentiles are members of the nation of Israel. But rather the olive tree metaphor simply illustrates the importance of Israel in relation to God's plan of salvation. It also demonstrates to Paul's Gentile Christian readers that they owe much to the Jews since salvation is of the Jews. In fact, our Bibles is a Jewish book. <laughs> With this passage, Paul is attempting to illustrate to his Gentile Christian readers that they owe their spiritual heritage to the nation of Israel and is not teaching that Gentiles are now members of the nation of Israel along with Jewish believers. Rather, he is attempting to illustrate how Gentile Christians are related to Jewish Christians through Abraham, the progenitor of the Jews, and all believers, so as to produce unity in the churches between both groups and to prevent anti-Jewish sentiment creeping in among the Gentile believers. And that is why Paul's saying what he's saying, the same reason why he's saying what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 2, 
11 through 22. He wants the Jewish and Gentile Christians and those would have would maintain their unity through the practice of the command to love one another. And this is and that's what he's the whole purpose of Ephesians. If you read Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, he comes right off saying, love one another, practice the command to love one another, and all that involves. So this is extremely important. So there's the church is composed of two races. The regenerate Israel is composed of one race, the Jews, who are born again. So this is very important. This is very interesting. A lot of dispensationalists don't bring this out. Because dispensationalists, because of their hermeneutic and a literal grammatical hermeneutic that they apply to prophecy in Old Testament passages, whereas others who are not dispensational don't always do that, we see that we find out that there's a distinction between Israel and the church. Uh, and so, but the church is also related to Israel and particularly the remnant of Israel that has believed in Jesus, as this passage made clear. So uh, the, the, the church is composed of Jewish and Gentile believers. So there is a continuity, there's a discontinuity and a discontinuity, there's a continuity between Israel and the church, born again Israel and the church. So the church is composed of two races that are born again and saved. Israel has, is uh, one, okay? the Jews. Now, the church is, uh, we have the church, in the church, the apostles, Jesus said to the apostles that you will rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. I said this in Matthew. You will each rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? Also, Ephesians 2.20, which we're going to study. Coming up. The foundation of the church is the apostles' teaching. Okay? So the church, the apostles are unique because they, and all Messianic Jews, Jewish believers, are unique in the sense that they not only belong to regenerate Israel, but also to the church as well. Okay? So, very important we understand that distinction. So, again, what Paul's saying in Romans 11, 17 through 24 is basically, uh, for the, the purpose for which he's doing this, is this pretty much almost this exact same thing that he has for what he when he writes Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And the Christian, Gentile Christians in the Roman province of Asia, just like he did in Romans 11, 17 to 24, what he did with the Roman Christian community that were Gentiles. Very important. And so uh, God wants to, loves diversity. The baptism of the Spirit gave that diversity and unity. And uh, now God wants us to maintain that with our Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ and, of course, the Gentiles interacting with each other uh, to practice the command to love one another, to maintain that unity and thus maintain our witness. And by this, Jesus said, John 13, 34 through 35, through loving one another, all people who know you are my disciples, and that's how you lead people to the Savior, to the practice of the command to love one another within the Christian community. Very, very important. So, we run out of time. Thank you for joining uh, me today, and uh, uh, thank you, Lord, for keeping the, the power on and everything. And so, I just pray you uh, have a safe day. I'll pick this up on Thursday, right? Today's Tuesday. Thursday, it should be warmer here, so that'll be good. Thursday at uh, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this lesson. It would be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. And it would uh, give us a greater appreciation for the Jewish people and our so great salvation and the baptism of the Spirit and our justification and all that you've done for us in eternity past and electing us and predestinating us and the work of your son at the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection and in particular identifying us with your Son and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at your right hand at the, through the baptism of the Spirit and our conversion, our justification, which has united us, not only with yourself and your Son and the Holy Spirit, but also 
united us with our Jewish brothers in Christ, sisters, Jewish sisters, uh, brothers in Christ. We just thank you for that, Father. And we just thank you, Father, for giving us grace, us Gentile Christians, giving us grace, and let us be a part of this new humanity, which is an incredible blessing that's going to, along with Jewish believers, rule with your son Jesus Christ, we're going to reign over the works of your hands. So help us live our lives in light of this fact and live our lives in a, in a, in a fashion that is consistent with what you're going to do with us during your son's millennial reign and on into eternity with the new heavens and the new earth. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.